Malachi chapter 4. For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, all that do wickedly, shall be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings, and ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. And ye shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day that I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts. Remember ye the law of Moses my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb for all Israel, with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for... uh, your wonderful preserved word that we have and we can see the message that you brought originally uh, to your people in Israel, but also that you've given to us that we might learn from it and look for your expected coming. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, in Malachi, we've seen that uh, this is the time uh, after the captivities, the Jews have begun to return back to Israel after the captivity, but they have they worship in form. They have the temple rebuilt. They have the walls of Jerusalem rebuilt. They have the sacrifices and the priesthood, but their hearts are far from God, and they're not living life according to God's laws and his word. And so he's been proclaiming judgment that will be coming upon them. But here at the end of Malachi, so that the faithful, because God always has a faithful remnant, the faithful will not get discouraged he encourages them that there is hope coming. And it, it's a, it's a la- this is, Malachi is the last revealed word of God that came for 400 years until the coming of John the Baptist. We will begin in the New Testament. So it was quite a gap. They, they had to hang in there. They had to have their faith to hang in. So we're going to back up a little bit in chapter, uh, we stopped at verse 16 of chapter 3 last time, and this goes better with chapter 4. So, then they that feared the Lord spake one to another, and the Lord hearkened and heard it. And a book of remembrance was written before him for them that feared the Lord and that thought upon his name. What he's saying is, God notices Sometimes we feel like what we do in this world does no good whatsoever. We're so surrounded with evil. There's evil within and evil without. Okay? We know there's such corruption in our country. There's such a loud push for so many wicked and evil things coming from all quarters, including our national leadership and our local leadership in all different places. From around the world, we've seen the atrocities that... uh, were bragged about by Hamas, the horrible things that they've done in Israel, and they filmed it and published it themselves. They, they would come, and they, one of the first things they did when they broke in is, into the country, into Israel, is they raided, of course, they, they immediately hit a music concert and started shooting that up, but they raided a bus station there on, in, in the south, and they were kidnapping and killing people. They would, first they would do is take that person's cell phone and 
film their brutal torture and murder and then send it to all their contacts, okay? Just for pure cruelty, okay? I mean, this is just hard to imagine that people are this evil and wicked. But when you get away from God, when you start viewing other people as less than human and not worthy, you can do such atrocities. Israel has not seen so many deaths of Jews since the Holocaust, okay? And it's hard for us to believe the Holocaust. I'm glad they still have Holocaust museums. They have one in Dallas and others to remind us of the atrocities that people were capable of. And it wasn't just Hitler and the Nazis. The whole country got caught up in it, okay? So we have to watch ourselves. We have to be careful. But sometimes when you stay out of that, you feel like, you're standing alone, especially if, if it involves persecution and this and that. You think, why do I do this and suffer like I do? And God said, don't worry. Not only do I notice, I'm writing it down in a book of remembrance. Okay. So when you serve, you love and trust God, he knows your name. He knows what you do. He knows your heart. He knows your deeds. And he will remember it. It will be written down. As your name can be written down in the Lamb's book of life when you repent of your sins and trust Jesus Christ to be your Lord and your Savior. And they shall be mine. God said, I haven't forgotten mine own. Even among all this sin that's going on in Israel, he said, I still remember you. And all the corruption and sin of our world, God remembers those who trust him. And they shall be mine, saith the Lord of hosts, in that day when I make up my jewels. Okay. Remember, he talks about Christ is going to come back for his bride, the church. And he talks of his people, the people that follow him, as his jewels, his precious jewels of rubies and gems. He's like, don't worry, I'm going to take care of you. And I will spare them as a man spareth his own son that serveth him. Okay. You know, people, you just do. You take care of your own family, this and that. It's like we're his own children. He's going to spare us through whatever atrocities come through this world. He's going to take care of his people. Then shall ye return and discern between righteousness. In other words, turn back to God. And we know the difference between righteousness and wickedness. So much wickedness uh, goes on in this world today, but it's under the label of righteousness. In different ways, outside the church, nowadays, you're supposed to be, you know, they, they think when we fly uh, rainbow flags on top of the, the White House, as they did in the Obama administration, as during the Biden administration, we have flown rainbow flags above all our embassies around the world. What we've sworn to, to spread, we used to think America's job was to spread democracy, what we've mostly spread to the world is our culture through Hollywood. What we're trying to spread now is the LGBTQ agenda. That's what we've said that our job is to do. So it's like, uh, we don't know the difference. And, and people feel like they're righteous because they're doing that. They think, I'm good and righteous, I'm doing this. There's, uh, you know, all the videos on the internet now. You know, some woman just... Uh, here on a campus in the United States was saying, no, Hamas is not a terrorist group. Everything they do is justified, blah, blah, blah. She's justifying everything they do. Because then when you say, well, what about the decapitating babies? Then they just don't hear you. You know, they don't respond to that. They're not willing to see that. They're not seeing, it's like, we don't know the difference between righteousness and wickedness. They've been taught 
in this agenda. And apparently a lot of Harvard students and UCLA and Berkeley students and this and that have been taught that Israel is, a, they say, is Israel is an apartheid oppressor. They say it's the new apartheid. Really? If Israel is apartheid, why do they have 20% of the Supreme Court are Arabs? Why do they have uh, one of the major groups in their Knesset is Arab? Okay? That wasn't the way apartheid South Africa was. There were no blacks in the government. Okay? But they accuse Israel of being apartheid, to be an oppressor, to be an occupier. And it's and what 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 are they? Well, they're an occupier just because they the Arabs don't want them in that land at all. They want to eliminate them whatsoever. Hamas's goal is to kill every Jew in the world. Now that is oppression. That is one side. That is but we don't know the difference between right and wrong. God says someday you're going to wake up and you're going to be able to tell the difference between righteousness. How do we know? God's word tells us the difference and the righteousness. How do we know who has the right to be in that land? God's word. You know, the Palestinians claim that, well, the land all belongs to the Palestinians. And you can look at the history and this and that. But guess what? Any Palestinian history goes back a few hundred years. The Jewish heritage goes back thousands of years. It's all documented in the Bible, also by archaeology and this and that. So uh, we need to get right with God so we can understand the difference between right and wrong. We've gotten so far off, we don't know what's right and what's wrong. Well, God put it there. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, so he has the laws. God made the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery, uh, thou shalt not steal. Those are, that's how we know what's right and wrong. Okay, there's a, a professor from Stanford, you know, very intelligent man, came out and he's in his 30-year career, and he's come out with a book now that he basically said free will does not exist. Whatsoever, you know, okay. Even that's kind of controversy now, controversial now. But he grew up in an Orthodox Jewish home. But when he was 16, he decided that God didn't exist. So he's now an evolutionary atheist, and he's just come to the logical conclusion of his atheistic views. If there is no God, then there is no free will, because everything is just a product of random chance random chemicals in your brain, whatever. That is a logical conclusion. He's wrong because there is a God. And God has created us with free will. But with no God, there's no room for free will. So therefore, the philosophy that brings out is what we start seeing in our society that it's not Hamas's fault that they decapitated babies. They don't have free will. It's just because of their situation forced them into doing this. That's how people are justifying it, okay? That's just wrong, <laughs> okay? We just, we've really lost it when we think that's the way it goes. But when you think there is no God, that's the kind of conclusion you come to, okay? But God said, the day shall come, you'll return. Well, what do we have to return to? We have to return to God. We have to return to his word, okay? Knowing the difference between him that served God and him that serveth him not. Well, you know, it's really pretty easy to tell. The ones who serve God protect life. The ones who are not serving God don't. Pretty easy. 
settles the abortion debate, settles the Israeli-Hamas debate. Who's, who is on the side of life here? And who is out to murder and kill? Okay. Chapter 4. For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven. I said, there's still judgment coming. Be ready. Burn like an oven. And all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. God says, when you look around this world, you may get discouraged because it looks like the wicked are winning. I mean, doesn't it look that way? You look who's rich. Look who's famous. Look who's in power and control. And for the most part, it's not the sweet little Christians. It's the wicked. And they're getting away with it. God said, don't worry. The day comes, it's going to burn like an oven. The proud, yea, and all that do wickedly, they shall be stubble. Okay? Think of a hayfield. And when you go through with the combine and you clear the hayfield, what's left? A bunch of dry stubble. Okay? And believe me, that stuff will burn. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. Okay? Now, every situation in the world, what you do, and, and a lot of things are shaded in you know, the Ukrainian situation, the China and Taiwan and whatever. But like Israel right now, their, their comment is that they are going to root out and eliminate Hamas. Not Palestinians, not Gaza, but the terrorist organization. Okay? And this terrorist organization, okay, they, they always show you the poor people uh, how they live in Gaza and their poverty and this and that. Well, that's because Hamas, they voted in Hamas. Hamas rules them, but Hamas doesn't care about them. Hamas, you go in and, and give, donate all this money, and so they put in water pipes so they can have clean water and this and that. Hamas goes and digs them up and uses them to make missiles out of, to fire at Israel. Okay? Uh, they don't care about the people. And the leaders of Hamas are sitting in luxury hotels in Yemen, okay? They're in these high-rise, super-luxury hotels. That's where they're sitting. They're calling the shots from there. They're not suffering, okay? But Israel's trying to root it out, but it's, it's going to be hard to do. How do you root out this evil? Well, God says when he comes to judge, God can truly root out evil. So you've dealt with weeds and this and that, right? You can't just cut them off. You got to dig up the roots, right? And a lot of these have deep tap roots. You know those huge dandelion things that come up or whatever. You can't get to the bottom of those tap roots. You know, I mean, they're feet down. And this and that. God said, "When He's going to take, a, He's going to burn the stubble, and He's going to get rid of root and branch. He's going to dig out evil all the way from where it is in the hearts of men." Shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, and it shall leave them neither root nor branch. Well, what did Jesus say in his parables? Remember he talked about the wheat and the tares? Matthew 13, 30, let both grow together. They discovered an enemy had planted tares among his wheat. Well, that's what we have in this earth, right? God created this world how? Perfect. And he said it was very good. There was no sin in this world. Adam and Eve were naked and unashamed. And this and that. But an enemy has planted tares in there. And he said, what? let them grow until the time of harvest. Why does God let wickedness go? Because it's not time of harvest yet. He's going to sort it all out. 
And I say to the reapers, gather ye first the tares and bind them in bundles and burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. The time will come that God is going to separate the wheat and the tares. Okay. So the picture they're talking about, I stole these pictures from a old, I took these screen captures from an old uh, John Wayne movie, The Quiet Man, if you're familiar with that. But there's a scene before the big fight scene in the movie where the brother is out harvesting his field. So he's out baling hay. Okay? And he, he's got a big farm operation. You can see he's got these big old horses out there that he's pulled up a furnace out there. That's what he's doing with the stubble and the chaff. Okay, You get the wheat, gather that into the barns, the tares and the stubble and the chaff all goes in the furnace. Okay? That's the picture that God has here. He's like, I'm going to reap my field and I'm going to sort it out. But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings. He's promising the Messiah. He's promising Jesus Christ is going to come. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. The Word of God. John said in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. And he became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus Christ is going to come and bring healing to this earth. God isn't just going to bring fire and destroy this place. He's going to restore it all to the perfect order he intended from the beginning. We shall be like calves of the stall. Well, that's the pampered little calves that have been well cared for and well fed and they're healthy and uh, slick and ready to run. And ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. And ye shall tread down the wicked and they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day that I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts. Remember ye the law of Moses, my servant. Okay, so what do we do? We need to remember the law of God. Fix that real quick. We so easily like to forget God's law. Okay? There are voices out there that say, well, you know, the church has just got to be modernized and we need to put away all those Old Testament things. You know, the God who uh, had all these laws and all these thou shalt nots and all that kind of stuff. We've got to forget that and then we just have to move on with society and the progressive agenda and accept all this stuff. God says, that's not the way back to me. The way back to me is to remember my law. I mean, they said it wasn't legal to have the Ten Commandments in the schools. The ruling just makes me laugh. It's so ludicrous. The judge says to have a display of the Ten Commandments in schools, if you put out the Ten Commandments, you don't do anything. You know, like they got rid of the prayer time and the teachers can't read the Bible, this and that. But just to have a display of the Ten Commandments so the students might read them. And if they read them, they might do them. And therefore, that would be undue religious influence. Wouldn't that be a terrible thing for our schools if our students read the Ten Commandments and they read, Thou shalt not kill? And they might abide by that? Thou shalt not commit adultery? Well, there goes the teen pregnancy problem. Instead of spending all this money we spent on it. Uh, thou shalt not steal? Wouldn't that be nice? Okay. 
I don't see that it would be harmful to have them read and abide by the Ten Commandments. We need to read and abide by the Ten Commandments. He said, turn back to the law of Moses. That's the Ten Commandments. And all that I have commanded him in Horeb on Mount Sinai with all Israel and statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah. Elijah, the famous Old Testament prophet. This is Elijah of the one who uh, brought the three and a half year drought against Israel. He had the battles with Ahab. He had the battle with the prophets of Baal, you know, where he called down fire from heaven, all that. This Elijah, he said, I will send you Elijah before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Okay. The Jews all are looking forward to the return of God. They have Passover feast every year. And at the Passover feast, there's an empty chair for Elijah. Why? Because Elijah has to come back before the Messiah. And they send the youngest son to run out in the street and look both ways to see if Elijah's coming. They do that every year at Passover. And then they come back and they say, next year in Jerusalem. They want to be back in Jerusalem. They want the coming of their Messiah. But first, Elijah has to come. Okay, Remember, they asked Jesus about that, didn't they? What did Jesus say? Here it says, And he shall return, he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. Luke chapter 1, verse 17. And he shall go before him, this is speaking, this is the angel speaking to the father of John the Baptist, saying of this child that's not yet born, he shall go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. That's exactly who, Elijah, who John the Baptist was, wasn't he? What did he say? Repent. For the Lord, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent for his coming. He was preparing them. What is the way to prepare for the coming of Jesus Christ? Because we need to prepare. Because Jesus Christ is coming again. How do we we prepare? We repent. Repent of our own deeds, our own ways. And turn to God's salvation through Jesus Christ. So before Jesus Christ came in the flesh, he sent John the Baptist to prepare the way. And then Jesus himself said, they asked him, they said, well, what about it? It says that uh, Elijah must come. And he said, he has come. In a sense, John the Baptist was in the spirit and power of Elijah. But what did he say here? He's, he's meant to turn the hearts of the children, the sons to the fathers and the fathers to the sons. That's repentance, reestablishing the family. There is such an attack in our world against the family. Everything's trying to break it up and break that up because that is the basic thing that God made. God created the family first, right? He saw Adam in the garden and said, it's not good that the man be alone. So he brought them together and a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall be one flesh. Now you've got family established first. Only after the family is established, then the churches can be established. The churches is made up of godly families and then when the churches are established, it influences the community. And the community influences the state. And the state influences the nation and the world. God establishes that. So the first thing to do is we've got to turn back to God's word, and to families, and the basic values that God has given us. But he says, if we don't do that, 
He will smite us with a curse. Well, how did we do when Jesus Christ came the first time? We didn't do very well, did we? John the Baptist gave out the message. Many people heard him. Jesus Christ came and he was rejected and killed. We didn't do very well. But some believed and some followed. And then God raised him again from the dead. Now, he's coming again. Guess what? This time, it's not so nice. He says, I'll smite with a curse. Well, we've been cursed without it. But he's still going to come again. And Elijah is going to come again before Messiah comes. Remember the two witnesses in Revelation? And whenever they're attacked, they can kill with fire from their mouths. And they stand, okay, until finally they do get killed and then God raises them up, calls them back up to heaven. That's the second coming of Jesus Christ. That one is still before us. That's the one we need to prepare for. We weren't here when he came the first time. But God preserved his word and told us about it. We need to accept it in his word. And we need to prepare ourselves for his second coming by turning back to God's way and God's word and to his Savior, Jesus Christ. And when we do that, uh, we're preparing ourselves for his second coming. Okay. So it's kind of like, what do they say? You know, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Well, God came the first time and most people missed it. They shouldn't have. There's over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament telling of the coming of the Messiah. Uh, Read Psalm 22 sometime, and you'll find it a more detailed description of the crucifixion than you'll find in the Gospels. Okay? There's incredible prophecies. Uh, He would be born in Bethlehem. He'd be of the line of David. Uh, Be called him out of Egypt. He shall be called a Nazarene. All those things are there. So if someone was studying God's word and paying attention, they should have noticed it the first time. And God even sent John the Baptist in the spirit and power of Elijah to say, this is him. Remember the scene when he came down to the Jordan River? And he told John, said, I need to be baptized by you. And John knew him. They were cousins. He knew him. He's like, no, I need to be baptized by you. He said, no. Permit this. This is what we should do to fulfill all righteousness, to do God's will. And so he baptizes him. And then the sign that John the Baptist had been told by the Holy Spirit that when you see the Holy Spirit descend as a dove and rest on someone, that's the Messiah. When he baptized Jesus Christ in the river, the Holy Spirit came and rested on him as a dove. And John the Baptist knew and spent the rest of his life testifying that Jesus Christ was the Messiah. He didn't try to keep his disciples to himself, as many leaders always come in now and they try to splinter off and pull people after them. He pointed his own disciples to Jesus Christ. And they picked up and followed him. Because they said, there, there's the Lamb of God. Follow him. And they did. And he pointed people there. So God gave us another sign that he was coming. Well, as a whole, mankind rejected him then. And no, we don't blame it on the Jews because it's pretty much all of mankind. But now we get a chance to decide what we're going to do with Jesus Christ. 
You've heard the gospel. You have access to the Bible. You can go back and read from the very beginning. When in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Forget what all this, just because all these scientists say it was billions and billions of years and whatever. No, it started, just as the Bible says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It's the only way that makes sense. There's no way that the scientists, they, they still don't have an explanation. They just say, well, everything created itself. They literally say nothing created the universe. Richard Dawkins, probably the leading spokesman for uh, atheist evolutionists now, will, will say that he said that before an audience. He said, yes, nothing created everything. And the people laughed because that is a ludicrous statement, isn't it? And he was just insulted. He was hurt that they laughed at him. Because he said it, but it's like, don't you hear what you just said? Everything created, nothing created everything. Well, I know some people that can accomplish nothing, but nothing doesn't accomplish everything. Okay. And then when you pushed him, he's saying, well, okay, you know, it's, it's possible that maybe some higher form of life created us. But he says, but if that is true, this higher form of life had to come by evolutionary processes long ago and far away. Okay? That's the start of a science fiction movie, you know, long, long ago and far away. But all you've done is push the problem out. If evolution is impossible here on Earth, which is what they keep finding out, that random chemicals can't come together to form life, and somehow they form, uh, they turn into a self-replicating cell, really, the more and more we know about the cell, the less likely that seems to be. So we got to push it out. Well, they've been using the billions of years thing to push things out, right? Billions and billions of years. So we know, yeah, it's impossible for, you know, an ape-like creature to turn into a human. But if it took millions of years, well, you know, small changes, maybe it worked out, you know. So they just keep saying, well, longer and longer time till you figure the odds. And when you can't, when, when you figure out that that doesn't matter, how many billions of years you throw in there, then they say, well, what's called panspermia. Some alien civilization must have put the first seeds of life on this earth. Great. Where did the aliens come from? Well, they evolved. Well, if evolution is impossible here, it would be impossible there, too. Because as far as we can tell, all these laws of physics apply everywhere in the universe, no matter where you are. So that's just pushing it off again. Beyond, You've just pushed it out of the realm of science. Science has to be testable, right? And so when I push it to aliens, so if you, if you could, that means if I could prove that you can't have evolution here on Earth, which we pretty much have, then I say, well, it happened somewhere out in space where you can't test it. Not science. We can't test it. Okay. Then you say, well, what about God created the heavens and the Earth? That's not science. You can't test it. You're right. You can't. Except logically. Okay, so nothing, we know perfectly well from our basic laws of physics that everything has a cause, right? Everything that's created has a cause. So they'll say, okay, then who created God? And it's not like the Gnostics, there's this whole long line of gods that created God and all, blah, 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 blah. No, it's just like it says in the very first verse of the Bible, in the beginning, God. That's your baseline presupposition God by definition is when God met Moses at the burning bush 
And Moses said, well, who do I tell him sent me? What name? Who do I say sent me? Because we just say God, right? But Islamists say God, Allah, to them God. So what God are you talking about? So when God gave him his name, he said his name was Yahweh, which means I am. The self-existent one. God is the only self-existent one. Everything else has a cause. But God was never created. God was always there because he's God. Therefore, everything that was created was created by God. That's the only logical way it makes any sense whatsoever. And that's exactly what the word of God tells us. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So instead of being like this neurobiologist who comes to the conclusion there is no God, and therefore he, he's very logical, very smart, takes that to its own, that there is no free will. Therefore, it doesn't matter what you do. Whatever you did, you can blame it on something else. That sounds like the 60s, 40s psychologist stuff. It's because your mother didn't love you. That's why you turned into a mass murderer, you know. No, you've got to take responsibility for what you do because you know perfectly well that you're responsible for your actions, right? You know it. You know it in your heart. You know perfectly well. So we can't just say, well, too far back for anybody here to know. Flip Wilson, he used to say, the devil made me do it. His comic routine, you know, the devil made me do it. Well, that's a nice excuse, but guess what? If you did it, you did it. It's up to you. We're responsible. Because there is a God. It's obvious there is a God. Yes, you may not be able to uh, test him scientifically. I can't, you know, do an experiment that says, okay, if there is a God, this will happen. If there isn't a God, this will happen. But I can look at the evidences and I can see I can see God's fingerprints all over it. Because it doesn't matter where on, where on earth I am, the ball I drop falls the same direction, right? All falls toward the center of the earth. Anywhere that law applies all over the world, it's universal. It's everywhere. Everything's consistent. You can do an experiment here. Somebody else can do it there. You can do it on the moon. You can do it wherever. It's still the same. God is there. He's consistent he's creative and guess what he's made this world just exactly perfect for us to live in it's the right temperature has the right mix of oxygen and other gases in the air there's food that grows he makes it grow and it's the right kind of thing that we can consume and sustain it's just exactly perfect god's fingerprints are all over just open your eyes and look around you want to see how big god is look up Wait for a good dark night. Look up. Count the stars. Whatever you come up with, if you're really, really good, you can get about 3,000. Then you get a telescope. And you see untold more. And then we got Hubble telescope. And we saw untold more. And then we got the James Webb Space Telescope that's even bigger and better than the Hubble telescope. And we send it out there. And what do we see? Not what we were expecting to see, the beginnings of the universe. We see a universe that goes on for as far as we can see. And it's mature already. It's not, we're not looking back at what we call the beginning. So now you're going to hear that the age of the universe is much older now. I'm expecting all that to change. Because they've got to revamp all their theories to make their preconceived ideas work out. And 
they'll build a bigger one if, if, the, if, if the world lasts long enough. Um, they'll build a bigger, better telescope to go beyond James Webb, and guess what they're going to see? More galaxies, even farther away. Okay? They're not going to see the edge of the universe like they think. Not going to happen. God is too big. So this all happened by accident because nothing blew up? I don't buy it. It takes a lot of education to convince somebody of that. So, God is all over. He's there. He's made himself obvious. And he's made himself obvious in ways. He's made himself obvious in your heart, too. Because he's given us a conscience. How can we say, if there is no God, how can we say that Hamas torturing people and decapitating babies is wrong? If there is no God... What's right? What's wrong? Who knows? We know it's wrong. We know it's cruel and awful and wrong. We know perfectly well. We're revolted when we see that. Uh, you know, I feel sorry for the soldiers that had to go in and clean up after that. I've seen a few YouTube videos from some of them going in, and I feel sorry for them for what they had to see and do. You hear story. I mean, people just wretch. The scenes are so awful. You know, it's just, it causes a, a, a reaction within us. Well, why does it do that? Because God has, has created us in his image. But it's a corrupted image. Because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We've corrupted ourselves in that. So how do we know? Well, we read God's word. We accept what he tells us. That yes, we're all sinners. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. God made a way. God is perfect and holy and there's no way he could just do like many people are hoping that God will just overlook it and let us all into heaven. Then heaven wouldn't be any better than earth. God is holy. And we get the carpet dirty. He's not going to let us drag all our filth and dirt and sins into heaven. So how can God who loves us so much, for God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God found a way, a very costly way, but he found a way to redeem sinful mankind through the blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ on that cross has already paid for your sins and for my sins. Are you going to accept him as your Lord? And let him apply his payment to our guilt. Then we can be accepted in the presence of God. So when Jesus Christ does come back, which I think is even sooner now after President Biden stood next to um, Prime Minister Netanyahu. And I, I appreciate that he went there and said he supported Israel. And he said, the United States will stand with Israel as long as the United States stands. So far, so good. I appreciate that. But then he said, and the United States will stand forever. That's where he stepped over the line. The United States will not stand forever. You read the book of Revelation, there's not even an inkling of the United States being in existence in the end times. Okay? Israel will be there. Our enemies will be there. But it's not there. America will not stand forever. That just makes me think our end is closer than I was thinking. Okay? 
We will not stand forever. God will stand forever. That's where Israel needs to turn for their salvation is to the God that created heaven and earth, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, God, the Father of Jesus Christ, who raised Jesus from the dead, is now on the right hand of the Father, but he will soon come back to rule and to reign again on this earth. That's the only hope that anyone has. That's the only hope that we have. That's the hope that the world has. And that's where he ends the Old Testament. The very end of this whole thing, he comes there. The next thing we hear is about the birth of a baby in Bethlehem to fulfill the promise of the Messiah who's come to redeem the world. And as Jesus said himself, he, as he, just before he was crucified, Pilate was questioning. He says, what is truth? And Jesus says, I am truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Jesus Christ is the only way. That's not popular in our world today. They want to be ecumenical, accept all possible things, all roads lead to God. That's just not true. All roads don't lead any one place. There's only one road, the narrow road, that leads to heaven, and that's through Jesus Christ and salvation in him. If we accept that, hearken that, then we have nothing to fear from the coming day of judgment.